It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Yeah. Many fruits, not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something in your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down, like fire in a fire. Mr. Chicken Southern Gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom, mm. if you can consider having the flu, doom and bloom. Yeah, that's right. We'll talk <laughs> about that. A little more doom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an interval of intimate interest in an intimidating world. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm the hacky, wacky mm-hmm. <laughs> Nurse Amy, also known as Amy Alton. <laughs> I'm a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And I need somebody <laughs> just like that to take care of me because I'm a mess. These, the coughing, I'm, I apologize in advance, <laughs> folks. <coughs> I don't think we're going to be In case you're wondering what the cough sounds like when you have the flu... You've it just sounds wi- like that. You've just <laughs> witnessed a male and female version of that cough. That's... We do apologize. <laughs> this is uh, day what? We got this on Sunday. Yep. On Sunday, and it's just gotten worse and worse. And so then... this is what? The sixth day? Yep. And now finally starting to get better. At least uh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> How are you I'm not feeling? sure. Yeah. No, terrible. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Well, I'm sorry to hear it, but... I just want to say that we are the gang of two. We are the dynamic duo, despite our terrible illnesses. <laughs> we are. Well, we had fun resting in bed, just hanging out, not oh, being yeah. able to do anything. It's, well, <coughs> it's called a forced vacation. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. And I'll tell you, it is one of those things that yeah, it's hard to keep it together, even in bad times if you can't stay healthy no it's terrible oh yeah absolutely and even your will i mean both of us were like we have to get up we have to do this we have to do that and you just can't right it physically knocks you down children have died from this i'm sure you're going to talk about we'll talk a little little bit about that yeah Yeah. so sad in a little bit it is and it is terrible but Yes. One thing that's always important and something that we always do mm-hmm. is we always ask our friends if they've been injured in an accident 
Uh-huh. With a cantankerous koala. Well, our, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. How about if they've been injured in a freaky flu? In a freaky with, flu? With a freaky flu. Flu. <laughs> All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when the zombie apocalypse arrives, oh, we know when that's coming. Will you know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? You can, you know, you can prove to the world that you've got more sense than a package of pickles <laughs> by learning what to do for injuries and illnesses when a disaster hits. And, you know, while you're at it, doesn't it just make common sense, really, folks, to get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge you're accumulating? Well, I sure think so. And what better way to get it than by checking out Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor and an honest-to-gosh advanced registered nurse practitioner. How about that? Well, compare our kits for contents, quality, costs with anybody else's stuff, or just ask anybody who's ever bought one of our kits, and you'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. Obviously. So send us <laughs> something. Come on, Calvin. Reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. It's so easy. And here's she is <clears throat> to tell you how. You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Or you can try Alton First Aid at yahoo.com also if AOL isn't working well for you. <laughs> Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Our Facebook page, you can like it and I believe you can subscribe for updates. It's called Doom and Bloom. Also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show and don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy. That's right and don't forget our other podcast all about current events, American Survival Radio. Now broadcast from a number of radio stations, land-based radio stations throughout the nation, and also all sorts of internet stations and networks like KIMB, Talk 365, and our good friends at the Prepper Broadcasting Network. We also want to say thanks to the folks at KYAH Utah for picking up our Survival Medicine Hour, and that is the first time I think we have a land-based one for this a land-based radio station for this podcast. Cool. So we we really That's appreciate so it. That's awesome. And we know that the folks in Utah are all into preparedness, and so hopefully we'll be able to give you some good information. Hey, we were just at the SHOT Show. We were in the area, not in Utah, but in, actually, in Which Nevada. Which is why we got sick. Because yeah. <laughs> there were 80,000 plus people in one building. Right. The well, chance of us getting sick were probably like, Point zero 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 one. Uh, also avoiding Despite that, yeah. Despite our aggressive hand washing and I know. frequent use of hand sanitizer. Isn't that crazy? Well, walked around 
with hand sanitizer in my pocket for the entire time. Oh, my god! Still got sick. But, of course, I met so many people, shook so many hands. Yeah. And you did, too. Yeah, we did. That is just absolutely and, and kooky. And not only that, but all it takes is being in an elevator. How many times were we in an elevator with a group of people? Oh, yeah. An elevator with somebody who is breathing out live viral Airborne droplets. And here you are in an elevator, unless we're going to walk around with a mask. It was almost inevitable that we were going to get this because the outbreak is so bad. And it is a a (coughs) bad year for the flu. (coughs) 47 states, bless you, 47 states. It was a cough, but thank you. That was very (laughs) sweet of you. Forty-seven states. states. Yes, I'm trying to say forty-seven states. Forty-seven. Forty-seven states. Forty-seven. Forty-seven different states. Yes, different ones. How many? (laughs) Forty-seven different (laughs) states have reported widespread (laughs) flu outbreaks. I bet. Who has it? Wait, wait. Do you know which ones haven't? I would think Alaska, Hawaii, and you think. (laughs) And I'm, I'm wondering. Maine, maybe. Maybe Alaska. In other words, places that are way out there. But I I'll don't t- know. I'll tell you something. Not that- densely populated. Maybe New Hampshire. There was hardly anyone who li- was living in New Hampshire, from what we could tell, yeah. driving <laughs> through that state. I know. It's beautiful. Lots green. of trees. Vermont and New Hampshire are beautiful green, yeah. green states, but uh, a lot of tick not related illnesses there, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that's true. So we'll talk not about that. Not a lot that. of peeps. We'll talk about that in the spring. But. For now, I'll tell you that the flu has been especially bad. It's considered to be uh, one of the worst types in that the flu vaccine is not very effective against it. And it is called H3N2. Flus are named after uh, some proteins. This is the current one? H3N2 is the one we've got right now? Uh, It's very possible that it's the one we have. Uh, Although there's another variety that's going around the striking baby boomers now you're not a baby boomer but i am well i'm on the cusp of it (laughs) and so all i can say is that we got something and boy it was bad it is bad whatever you have i have so there's same strain so the concern is that these vaccines are just not really being very effective against the h3n2 variety the I, i was mentioning that the viruses are named after the proteins on their surface. And mm-hmm. there are two tif- different types of proteins, hemagglutinins, H, and neuraminidases, N, and they use H and N to classify them because there are different different ones. So this is H3, N2, and this particular one just seems to be resistant to a lot of the standard vaccines that are given. And so it is a big issue. Uh, there have been a number of pediatric deaths. They think that the number of pediatric deaths, I mean, young, healthy children mm-hmm. dying from this, uh, are going to probably equal or surpass uh, the f- bad flu season of 2014 and 15. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Where there were 150 kids that died of this. And that's the thing. You know, it, it, uh, the flu takes care of by ending the life of, it's called the old man's friend because it ends the life of a lot of suffering for very old people. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is that it shouldn't be doing that to young, healthy people. And that's what this one seems to be doing in relatively large numbers compared to what you would expect. So it's very important, guys, out there to wash your hands regularly, really limit, I think you should limit your contact, physical content, 
contact with people. If you hit all, can at all, possibly. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that wouldn't be un- an unreasonable thing to do is to wear a face mask out in public. But, you know, you know nobody wants to do that. I they have, do it in Asia, though. I bought, um, we should have brought these with us, but we would have looked unusual if we t- took them with us. But we have masks in the um, warehouse that are specifically made for viruses. Anti-flu? They're yeah, they're viral protection. You mean the N95 or no, different? No, it's, it's different. a higher grade. They were uh-huh. super expensive. I think they cost me like 6 or $7 each mask. So anyway, we would have looked a little funny walking around with those, but man, maybe it would have protected us. There were, there were a few uh, Asians that looked like they were on vacation with big groups mm-hmm. that were wearing masks. Oh, yeah. So they're probably the only people that didn't get sick. Well, that's a sign of social responsibility the over there. Venetian so. and Pla- how do you say it? Palazzo, 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 Palazzo that, uh, hotels that are Sands, connected, right, to the Sands Expo Center where the Shot Show was. And I just want to talk a little bit about the Shot Show. It is a not a public show. It's a business to business industry show, and it is all about firearms. And I can tell you that there are some of these firearms manufacturers that probably spent a million bucks to put together an incredible type of display, exhibit, uh, space for themselves. Uh, There are some people that had huge signs uh, uh, rotating over their booth. We had uh, various exhibits that were a couple of stories tall. Right. And just, just amazing. And I'll tell you the amount of firearms there were plenty there were very few medical supply places though and so we did get wind up getting a lot of interest for our uh, line of bleeding kits that we've put together and if you haven't seen those we've got kits that are good for law enforcement and kits that are good for public venues kits that are good for the hunter the range all sorts of all sorts of them and you never know where, when a mishap will occur, and certainly in these days when there may be an active shooter event. And so having some of these items available, I mean, it's thought that one in five deaths from hemorrhage can be prevented by the quick action of a bystander with some supplies. So this is something that we find to be our mission to help put those supplies in the hands of people that could possibly save lives. And so, but, but it was great we met people from... Uh, probably a dozen different countries that are interested in uh, our first aid products and mm-hmm. uh, re- at least at least that many. Mm-hmm. We also from uh, Egypt, uh, and right, right, Austria, Austria, Egypt, Sweden. You know, places that are having trouble. Japan, Japan. That right? was a very interesting meeting. He yeah, came back it. a couple of times. Yeah. He was he is currently in charge of security. For all of the 2020 Olympics. Right, which apparently are in yes. Nagoya or something. And 2020. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, or you can call it 2020. Right. <laughs> lots of government representatives, lots of representatives from police departments and fire departments. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it was a, a, a great experience. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. And... We met Some a lot of those of booths people. were insane. Yes, they were. From the gun manufacturers. Oh, yeah, Remington and, and Winchester. And, and the ammunition. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I heard they spent no like ex- two to two and a half million dollars no per booth. No expense was spared. 
that swirling banners in the air and two-story buildings. They made buildings in the booths. Right. A log cab- it was like an entire log cabin Insanity. that they constructed right inside Two and a half hall. million dollars for some of those booths. And, and some of the banners, uh, we saw Crazy. a banner that had to be about 80 feet wide and 40 feet long. Oh, I at mean, least. Just, just incredible, incredible stuff. They had rooms with locked doors with, that had uh, key codes on them. To, that you had to put a key code in to actually get into the room. In, in the booth. Among the booth, right. right. So they have a booth, but they have rooms in the booth. They, they build buildings <laughs> in their booth. With doors that, and windows. windows. And <laughs> yeah, and it's, I'm not talking about a 10 by 10. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, a 100 by 100, you know, like a city blocks worth. Well, each booth There were 12 miles worth of booths, right? 12 miles. I think one day we racked up 9.3 miles of walking. Oh, Remember gosh, that? yes. Wow. Well, what can I say? We got a lot of exercise. Right. And we were exposed to so many people that we got sick with the flu. Yes. The flu, by the way, it started, for us, it started off just with, a, I guess, a sort of frog in your throat. No, and and stomach discomfort. You had stomach discomfort. I had the night before we got on the plane. um, I felt like I had food poisoning. I didn't um, have any intestinal symptoms other than my stomach just rumbling remember right and it felt nauseous mm, you felt gassy uh-huh so gassy girl yeah <laughs> if anyone's ever watched that pharmacy commercial, commercial yeah. about the side effects yeah right the girl goes up to the counter and she says yeah. will there be any side effects with this medicine they have boys to men boys to men the, right in back singing and so and gassy you they, can have this and that and right. you know. and then at the end they go so gassy girl so anyhow, so you had that, but I had basically, you know. And this... on the plane, um, I just, my stomach felt better in the morning. Remember? But then we started coughing. Uh, were we actually coughing on the plane? I was. Maybe just a little bit. I but was. we thought, honestly, we, we didn't feel like, we did not acknowledge the flu at that moment. Because we didn't have fevers, but uh, we felt tired. We were mm-hmm. sleeping a lot. Normally, we don't sleep a lot on planes. And um, a little bit of a cough, a little bit of a, a right. like a tickle in your throat. Well, mine was worse than that. My, I was coughing, I thought, a lot. I mean, I was the kind of person that I don't want to be sitting next to on a plane. But we both thought that it was probably from the dryness of Vegas where, when we're used to living in was, Florida yeah. with mm-hmm. a nearly humid, you know, 100% humidity, that it had just been nine days of dryness that our noses and throats were dry. We were just thirsty and dry. Right. So that's what we were blaming it on. And then we got home and basically just crashed right. in bed and just really we've stayed in bed. Right. Even and I, until and I started, today we should still be in bed. And I started having a high fever. Oh, started, yeah. My fever went up to 102 point something. And Point six or something? Yeah, something like that. And Well, you get fevers. Right. I never I, I got a fever. A, I have a very faulty thermostat. No, you have a... See, what you don't understand is when you have a good immunity system, you get fevers. Some people don't get fevers. I just don't get fevers. If I get a fever, you better haul me to the hospital because mm-hmm. you know I'm sick. I just don't get fevers. I think my immunity works um, less than yours. So you're saying that the fever, and Absolutely. this is very possible, but the 
increase in temperature of might course. be killing off some of this Absolutely. virus. Absolutely. It's part of your immunity system. Making it system. higher than room temperature. Oh, you know this. You're pretending I'm like telling, I'm no, educating I'm, you. I'm, and no, I'm, I'm saying it to explain. I know you are, but I know that you know that. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> You're so. cute. Sometimes he acts like I'm telling him something and he already knows it. But you're very sweet. Oh, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So anyway, your your fevers uh, came on Monday. Right. And Tuesday. And it took a two or three days for them to And I think pass. a little bit Wednesday also you still right. had some. And now when, we're just sort of washed out. Well, the funny thing is Wednesday we actually got out of bed. Remember, mm, we were sitting yeah. in the office. Mm-hmm. And then we got tired after, I don't know, six or seven hours and got back in bed. And then uh, yesterday... I know I did. I had a bad relapse. You said you were really tired again, too. So we actually got back in bed Thursday, yesterday. We're up today. Probably shouldn't be, but we needed to do the show. (laughs) (laughs) We have commitments. We haven't eaten either. You realize it's like (laughs) 3.30. We haven't eaten today. Well, we got to get the show. You know what? The show yes, must, go, must go on. Must go on. So anyway, so some other symptoms are besides the fevers, you you don't have an appetite. Right. Uh, we got a lot of chicken soup. We have a nice deli around here, and we mustered up a few minutes of energy to drive over. I think I put you in the car. You were in your hospital scrubs and your greens. Yeah. I threw you in the car just so you could have some fresh air, and you still you had a little bit of a fever. Oh, yeah. You just sat in the car, but I rolled the window down. It was like letting a dog get fresh air out of the car. You just needed a little fresh air and sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) So we went went and got some soup. That was nice. Gatorade soup. What else is important? Oh, I stocked up on Mucinex, which we need more of. Mucinex is um, guaifenesin, which loosens up congestion. Right. You take that one. Uh, they used to have shorter acting. Now they have um, the shortest the 12-hour shortest one I can find is twelve hours. I don't like extended release medicine because if you don't have a good reaction, you've got to suffer with it for a while. Um, plain Sudafed. Get use the one that you have to show your driver's license for. I I like that one much better. You can take right. one of those every four hours. Right. That's called pseudoephrine, ne- and pseudoephrine is. Also an ingredient in making meth. I know. And that's so why that's why you, you often times have to show your driver's license. But in I like most states. I like that one better than the the fake <clears throat> Sudafed they've got on the shelves now. So get real Sudafed. You can take one of those every four hours. Na- that helps your nasal congestion. That pressure in your head, mm-hmm. the headache, the pain behind your eyeballs. Uh, also, it'll help stop that post nasal drip that causes the sore throat. So if you got a sore throat. Believe it or not, the Sudafed might actually help your sore throat a little bit. Uh, what else did we get? Um, uh, lots honey. of Gatorade. Honey. Oh, we were taking um, spoonfuls of raw honey, yep. which I can swallow a whole spoonful. You need to taste it a little bit at a time. <laughs> yep. Um, we were doing that three times a day. Hot tea with honey also right. and a little bit of lemon. A little steam inhalation therapy wouldn't be a bad idea too. Feels put in a little right. uh, eucalyptus oil maybe or, or lavender oil and put that in some hot steamy water and <clears throat> just breathe that in. Or at least get in a hot shower. Mm-hmm. Um, if And if you don't want to do the essential oil, like breathing it out of a bowl, you can actually just sprinkle a couple of drops of the essential oil on the Floor, floor of the shower. Of the shower. Be careful you don't slip. Some of them make it slippery. Um, but that, when the hot water hits that, 
it'll make a steam that smells really good. And Not a bad idea. With um, inhalation, if you've got a, especially if you've got a closed nice shower, closed shower. Yeah. Sh- small closed shower. Or hers is a little bit open above the door, so it's a little harder to get really good steam in there. So steamy showers have been very helpful. Uh-huh. Of course, rest. Cold washcloths on your hot head. Yes. And behind your neck. So get two cold washcloths, and when they get warm, just flip them over because they'll cool mm-hmm. off on the outside. Right. Other places that are good are the Keep armpits. Keep socks on. Yeah. So you stay warm. Um, yeah, to cool off on the armpits. Um, a tried and true remedy to help bring a temperature down along with either some ibuprofen or Tylenol. Be careful with both of those. You can overdose, folks. There, there is a such thing as too much of a good thing when it comes to ibuprofen and Tylenol. But uh, for fevers, you can put somebody in a warm bath, not a hot bath, a warm bath, and leave them in there. As the temperature of the water drops, so too should the temperature of the person because it draws out the heat of the body right. as the water cools off. Now, you don't want to let that water cool off till it's freezing. You're not leaving them in. Until they're shivering. Okay, you don't want that reaction. But you'll, you know, keep an eye on their their forehead. Or I also was checking your ears to see how hot you were. That's a good place to check. I think my ears are a good yeah. thing. My ears are a little cool now, so I guess they're right. better. Well, it's really thin, and you could feel the, the blood temperature through it. So I was checking your ears. But you can use a thermometer. Um, and then when they, you know, are getting towards normal, go ahead and get them out. Put clothes on them, put them in bed, snuggle them up, put some socks on. We were wearing sweatshirts uh-huh. to stay toasty. Robes mm. and sweatshirts and socks. Right. The, actually, <clears throat> the, what they try to do for people with high fevers is, though, is to keep them cool. Which, of course, for if you are having, like I was, you know, the severe chills... This is the least comfortable, least no, possible comfortable thing no. that you could possibly Terrible. go through. But that's what the official medical thing is to do. But make your people comfortable, I think, is probably better. Just keep them well hydrated. We didn't mention that. No, I, I did. I, did I started to talk about Gatorade, and uh, we talked about soup. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we were drinking a lot of water. Oh, another really good thing when someone has a fever is um, apple juice and ice. Mm-hmm. So you've got yes. a cold apple juice, and yes. have them sip on the cold apple juice. Yeah, that was pretty good. That helps lower your temperature right. after you took your ibuprofen or Tylenol. Now, another thing that we did take is is the antiviral drug, Tamiflu, which yes, we, we always did. have. And you should always ask your doctor. Did we start that Sunday or Monday? I, as soon as we got home. Okay, as soon as we got off the plane. But uh, every flu season, you should ask your doctor for a prescription for this drug, Tamiflu, also known oh, as Oseltamivir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this drug, if you take it, if you take it within 48 hours of your first symptom, then it will decrease the severity and it will decrease the uh, length and duration of your illness. And so I think this is a reasonable thing. Some people, this is a bad flu too, yes. folks. Don't if you if you start to get the flu symptoms. Don't think <coughs> that you're just going to get better the next day because you're Superman. This thing is stronger than you are. Right. So don't. It will be knock afraid. you off your feet. Right. So take the take this medicine. Remember, if you take it too late, though, it it, it won't have any effect. That has within to be within the forty eight hours. Forty eight hours. They've That's even exactly said right. if you figure out you have your 
flu within 72 hours. You can start it. It might not help you as much, um, but there was one of our, we get a lot of the announcements from the state and, and the CDC um, with and these alerts. Right. We just got an alert probably an hour ago. Three children have died already just in Florida. Just in I'm not Florida, sure right. what the full numbers were. I'm, I bet so far we're over 40 yeah, by over now. 40, yeah. This is really awful for little kids. Do not mess around and say, oh, my kid just has a cough or a, a little bit of a fever and drop them off with a sitter and go to work. Just be you real need careful to here. stare at those kids. You need to be in the room with them or have them in the room with you. And you need to monitor them all the time don't go stick them in bed and and walk away this is killing children and i don't mean to scare you but i actually do mean to scare you if your child or a niece or nephew or grandchild gets sick somebody needs to be monitoring and may need to do shifts with different adults but these kids need to be watched very 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 closely and if you have any issue about them getting sicker or not breathing well or they don't, their color doesn't look right, or if they're just really lethargic, you need to get them to the hospital. Don't hesitate. It's okay to be sent home after a few hours, but maybe they need some IV fluids or, you know, they might need to stay in the hospital for a day or two. Don't mess around with this. We do not need children passing away because of a stupid flu virus. Um, and it's, it's right. hitting kids super duper hard. So you might have it and say, oh, well, it wasn't too bad for me, but that might not happen to your child. All right. Young, very young kids who have sort of undeveloped immune systems. I don't mean to systems. scare you, but I do mean to scare you is what I'm saying, <laughs> you know. Well, you just have to be very careful. have a high level of suspicion, and high index of suspicion. Watch the kid constantly. Somebody needs to have their eyes on that child. At all times, a child needs to be in the room with you. Even if you're sitting on the couch, have the child laying with you so that you have your hand on their forehead, you're monitoring their breathing, you see what kind of color they have, you make sure that they're having little sips of fluid. You know, even if they can't have a lot at once, give them a little bit all the time. If you do that, you'll keep their fluid status up. Make sure they're peeing. If kids stop peeing, that means they're dehydrated. Then you need to get them to the hospital. I mean, you just need to watch these kids. It's, it's not taking much for them to get super ill with this. Besides the amount of urine that they produce, you also can uh, just pinch the skin of their arm and it ha has kind a tendency. Kind of pull it up. I wouldn't say yeah. pinch, but well, pull, pull up. up, pull up with your fingers. <laughs> and it has a tendency to stay up if you are very, very dehydrated. So this is a, another way you can identify that somebody is dehydrated. Sleep up. Uh, that was another thing we did. Have pillows behind you uh -huh. um, so that the congestion runs down instead of kind of choking you. <clears throat> so sitting up makes you more comfortable. Um, so really it's about um, fluid staying hydrated, um, keeping the temperature down, uh, but not overdosing. And don't give sick children aspirin ever. That's right. In fact, I really see no reason to give children aspirin at any time. Uh, it's just too dangerous. There's something called RISE syndrome that can happen with people who are sick, uh, children, that get aspirin. So don't give them aspirin. 
Right. Give them what their pediatrician recommends, either ibuprofen or, or Tylenol. So keeping the fever down, that also helps with aches and pains. This affects your joints, um, sure. your back, your neck. Oh, boy. And my back is Achy, still painting, hurting. Yeah, yeah. your knees. Mm-hmm. Um, walk slowly to the bathroom so you don't fall. Make sure there's good lighting so you don't run into walls mm-hmm. um, or trip. You don't need to add to your injuries or your illness at this point. Um, make sure that the person is urinating on a regular basis. And if it's a child, check the color. That'll be pretty easy with the diaper. You want the clearest urine possible because the the deeper the yellow, uh, the less hydrated someone is. So you, if you can get clear urine out of somebody, then that's great. Uh, Again, the more yellow it is, the more you probably need to increase their fluids. Um, and then we Good talked about nasal decongestant, and we talked about um, the guaifenesin, which loosens up chest congestion. So this cough that you're hearing from us, I actually did not <coughs> did not take my mucinex yet this morning. Right. Or, so at you all have to. Today. And so this mucus has a tendency you to did. get thick. You took it. Yeah. And, and it makes it want to come out, and that's good. You, you don't want that it. stuff in there. You want to clear it out of your airways. I mean, the more junk that you have in your chest, the less oxygen exchange. Right. So when you hear these little kids who are just rattling with a cough, and they're not really pulling up plugs of mucus, they could have a decreased oxygen exchange. Right, absolutely right. And the what happens is they can develop a pneumonia where there's fluid that starts accumulating in the little air sacs mm-hmm. called alveoli mm-hmm. that actually absorb oxygen into the body from the air that you breathe. And so when once that happens, then you really have a problem with oxygenating the or delivering oxygen to the organs. Very scary. And that's what happened to these kids. They wound up getting in big, big trouble as a result. Now, we do have a uh, pulse oximeter. They're not very expensive. You can buy them from CVS Pharmacy or Walgreens. A pulse oximeter tells you the percent saturation with oxygen that is in your blood. And so it tells you how well your body is oxygenating itself. And it's a very simple thing. You put it on your finger, right? It's this little clip, and it... (coughs) Excuse me. That's a little clip you put <laughs> on your on finger. Any any finger. Uh-huh. It works better without nail polish if someone's wearing nail polish. I know. I always take mine off before. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you put it on a finger, and it tells you two things, actually. It'll tell you the pulse, and it'll tell you how much oxygen's in the blood. You want, I mean, a good number is 97, 98. Right. Those are good numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want it to be about that, anything below 90, you're in trouble. Oh, please. If I saw 93, I'd have you taking me to the hospital. <laughs> there you go. <coughs> I want to be super careful. You notice I'm coughing more than you since I didn't take my Mucinex. Uh-huh. Well, it's harder to get it out. You know, yeah. you have a tendency to feel like you have to cough, but it, it you can't actually expel anything. I'm going to have to leave our talk right this second to go. All right, well, you go ahead and do that. I have other things Clear to list. talk about while you. Okay. All right. Well, I think we while we call nine one one. I'll be right back. While we call nine one one for Amy, and have her um, put on the gurney, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about antibiotic use. Now, antibiotic use doesn't have much 
place in the use in the treatment of uh, viral influenza simply because antibiotics take care of bacteria and not viruses. However, they can be very useful for a lot of issues, especially the kinds of infections that are going to occur in survival situations. You know, we often talk about uh, the addition of certain fish and bird antibiotics as being uh, identical to human versions. And of course, I'm the first guy who, or at least doctor, who wrote about this many years ago. Uh, and I feel strongly you should always, and everybody who's in the preparedness community should have some in their storage. In, in a true situation, you have to realize that people are going to be doing activities to which they are just plain old not accustomed. Let's say chopping wood for fuel. Do you do that on a daily basis? I don't. So not too many people do that regularly. And when you do stuff you're not used to doing, guess what happens? You can get injured. And if you get injured in a backwoods setting, well, or any off-grid setting, that wound can get infected. And when you have access to modern drugs and medical facilities, great. But if that's just not an option... Well, simple small infections can become very big problems. They can go into your bloodstream, can infect your entire body, which is a condition called sepsis. And once it does that, then organs start to fail, heart fails, all sorts of stuff, and, well, that's it for you. If you have antibiotics to nip that in the bud, however, you can have a good index of suspicion, know how to identify an infection, infected wound when you see it. We've talked about that on, on many uh, past shows. We'll talk about that in the future also. Well, you know, if you don't have antibiotics, you'll lose people that otherwise could have been saved. So store some of these antibiotics in your survival medicine cabinet. We'll talk a little bit about which ones I want you to have in a second. Now, it's important to say, though, you don't want to indiscriminately use antibiotics for every minor ailment that comes along. A cold, they won't help a cold. They won't help the flu. Those are all viral illnesses. And, you know, you have to remember that you're, if you're going to be the medically responsible person for your family or your group in times of trouble, well, the medical guy is not just the medical guy. He's also or she is also a quartermaster of sorts. Somebody's in charge of deciding when to use part of what is probably a dwindling supply of modern medicine that you've stockpiled. Uh, it's certainly if things have destabilized, they're not making this stuff anymore, and so the person, there has to be one person in charge of deciding when to use that stuff, and that should be you, medic. I mean, you want to judiciously dispense that limited and, yes, very precious supply of life-saving drugs. Now, let's agree that antibiotics are serious medicine. They're not candy. They shouldn't be used for every minor issue. And liberal use of antibiotics is very poor, very poor strategy for a few reasons. Overuse can foster the spread of resistant bacteria. We're in the midst of an ep epidemic of antibiotic resistance in this country. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember in 2011, there were antibiotics that were routinely given to these turkeys that are used uh, for uh, lunch meats and things like that. And they caused a resistant strain of salmonella that put over 100 people in the hospital. And they had to recall and throw away, Let get this, 36 million pounds of ground turkey. 36 million pounds. Can you imagine how much food that is? Wow. Uh, um, there are also other reasons to be wary of using antibiotics. There are potential allergic reactions that can occur. You know a lot of people are allergic to penicillin probably. Some of these allergies can be bad enough. They could lead to anaphylactic shock, something we've talked about 
a lot in the past. We'll talk about that again in the spring. Um, now, making a diagnosis is also more important if you give antibiotics before you're sure what medical problem you're actually dealing with. You know why? Because the antibiotics sometimes temporarily mask the symptoms. And that could cost you valuable time in figuring out what's really going on and determining the correct treatment that you got to use. Now, you can see that the wise use of antibiotics in survival situations should be under the medic's close supervision. You got to do that if you're going to fully utilize their benefits and not waste them because, like I said, they're probably not making this stuff anymore if you're the person having to dole out the antibiotics. Uh, you got to discourage group members from using these drugs without first consulting you, by the way. That's also something important because that's always important information to have. What medicines are you on when somebody comes to you with a medical problem? And if they're on antibiotics already, then it can confuse the situation. So remember, you're in charge of making sometimes difficult decisions in terms of parceling out limited medical supplies, so use them wisely. And of course, when there are professionals available in a there's a functioning medical system like there are like there is in normal times well you know seek those guys out they know more about it than you do i wanted to say if, if i haven't mentioned this before you know, how i started writing about fish antibiotics and survival settings you know i'm just a really rare bird that not only am i both a, a physician an actively licensed physician in the state of florida and and an aquaculturist. Sure enough, I used to raise tilapia in ponds for food. I still have a pond and a, and a number of aquariums. You know, I like fish. Uh, I also have an African gray parrot, so I have birds too. And as a doctor, I used to treat uh, humans with antibiotics when it was appropriate. And when my fish got a bacterial disease of fish, something like fin rot, I would use antibiotics for them too. And the antibiotics I used for them was something called was something called fish mox, and I never really thought about it twice for many years. And it wasn't until I started writing about medical preparedness that I realized the similarities of some of the aquarium and avian bird antibiotics that we have, how just just how similar they were to human antibiotics, and seeing that there might be totally what I consider to be unnecessary deaths. I saw a History Channel series called After Armageddon, and I said, and, and in that series, there was a paramedic that was the father of a family. He, uh, some society-ending disaster had occurred, and they wound up with a survival community. He wound up, of course, having to do more than just be the medic. He had to also do some farming and stuff like that. He injured himself doing stuff he wasn't accustomed too, and had a wound that he knew was becoming infected, and he saw, and unfortunately, there were no antibiotics anywhere, and so he just watched himself die over the course of four to five weeks as the infection spread throughout his entire body, so I figured that we've got to prevent the avoidable deaths that occur, and so I decided to research the usefulness of alternative ways for the average person to accumulate medications. Not for everyday use, but for, you know, post-apocalyptic settings. Now, I get calls regarding using horse antibiotics or other kind of animal antibiotics uh, than the ones that I've mentioned before. You just have to remember that those antibiotics are 
usually nowhere they either are not antibiotics used in humans or they are antibiotics that are in doses so different than what a human uses uses that you would have to figure out a way to scientifically quantitate the amount that you use to get it down to a humid dose. So not every veterinary antibiotic is going to do. So that's something important. So, you know, what kind of horse medicine should you give your kid? Absolutely none. Only a certain number of antibiotics meet my criteria to be eligible for possible use by the survival medic in tough times. One, they must only be produced in human dosages, although they're supposed to be for fish or birds. That's pretty amazing that these antibiotics that are for fish, this fish mox, actually was only produced in human dosages, either 500 milligrams or 250 milligrams. These are the dosages used in humans, and that's the only way that this medicine for guppies <laughs> actually came in. So why does my guppy need the same dose that you do of amoxicillin? The only ingredient has to be the antibiotic itself. That means there has to be one ingredient only, and the ingredient is the antibiotic, nothing else that makes your scale shinier and your fins longer, your feathers brighter. It has to be just one medicine in there. And they must be identical to the human equivalents when removed from the bottle from at least one pharmaceutical companies. Pharmaceutical companies may make a different drug or the same drug in different colors, but David Labs, for example, DAVA, makes amoxicillin 500 milligrams that looks like a red and pink capsule with the numbers letters W731 on it. Well, Fishmox, the 500 milligram version, comes as a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. What does that tell you? Right, exactly, that they are exactly the same thing. Uh, uh, the other important thing for uh, the preparedness community is you have to be able to get these without a prescription, and indeed, you can buy a, a, these in bottles of 100 or bottles of probably 500 if you wanted to uh, without a prescription and they have to and, and that's the thing they have to be available for purchase in bulk because you maybe you and your wife might be able to get by with a couple of doses of a, a couple of courses of antibiotics but you're going to be taking care of a lot of people believe me if you are the medical person in times of trouble and so you need to get as much of this stuff as you possibly can now, there are many antibiotics, but which antibiotics that are accessible to the average person using these fish or bird antibiotics would be good additions to your medical storage? Now, that's a good question. Each antibiotic belongs to its own family. It's useful for different ailments. Now, here are some common antibiotics that are available in veterinary form without a prescription that you're going to want to consider for your medical arsenal. Of course, one of them is amoxicillin. Fish mox is the brand, and, and the 500 milligram is called uh, version, which is the adult version the adult dose, called Fishmox Forte. Um, ciprofloxacin is another medicine uh, that's called fish flox and or fish flox forte. Usually the forte is the Hello. adult dose. Oh, welcome back. <laughs> uh, is, the, is the adult dose. Um, that's Cipro. Cephalexin, that comes as fish flex, fish flex forte. That's also known as Keflex. Then there's metronidazole. That's called fish fishazole. You may know that as flagell. Uh, doxycycline, uh, also known as bird biotic, that's 100 milligrams, and uh, that's called vibromycin uh, in at least one of many brand names, or vibratabs. Uh, ampicillin, people have heard of that, it's called fishcillin. 
500 milligrams of Forte is the Forte, fish and Forte. Then there's clindamycin, excellent for a number of conditions called fish sin, C-I-N, fish C-I-N. Then there's, of course, sulfa drugs, bird sulfa or fish sulfa, and um, that is also known as, in human terms, called Bactrim or sulfa. You probably recognize some of these. And then there, of course, is aquatic azithromycin, which is ZPAC. So you see there are just a bunch of antibiotics that you could recognize that would be useful to have in times of trouble. There are various others you can choose, but the ones I mentioned are the ones I think will give you the opportunity to treat a lot of illnesses and have enough variety so even those people with penicillin allergies will have options. Now, I just want to say is cephalexin is not in the same drug family as penicillin, but is thought to have about a 10% cross-reactivity rate. That means 10% of people allergic to penicillin will be allergic to cephalexin, keflex as well. Um, now, don't forget that there are natural substances, however, that have antibiotic qualities. Garlic does, honey does, silver does. Uh, before there were commercial antibiotics, topical solutions and ointments made of honey and garlic and silver were used to prevent infections or, to, or even treat infections. Uh, in a long-term survival settings, the pharmaceuticals are going to run out no matter how much you accumulate. So no self-sustainable alternatives for every medication in your storage. If you can, you got to use all the tools in the medical woodshed. So that is something important. Of course, if you want to know more about this, our third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, um, which won the 2017 Book Excellence Award in Medicine, by the way, discusses antibiotics in detail, has all the indications, dosages, other important information that you could possibly imagine. So that's very important. So you want to have a good reference book. I think that is my favorite, I would, as you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, having a thorough knowledge of infectious diseases, how to recognize them, and that's really imperative for success, and you'll get that information in our book. I want to talk a little bit about one antibiotic. We'll talk, talk about uh, metronidazole very quickly. That's called fishzole, and otherwise known as flagell in human uh, form. It's an antibiotic in the nitroimidazole family, and it's usually used to treat infections caused by bacteria that don't require a lot of oxygen to live and also parasites like protozoa. Anaerobes are uh, bacteria that don't need oxygen to live, and protozoa are single-celled organisms that actually have animal-like behavior. Some of them propel themselves from place to place by the means of a little tail-like whip or hair called a flagellum that uh, they move randomly around in water with. Metronidazole works by blocking some of the functions within bacteria and protozoa, resulting in their death. And so it, uh, it's something that you'll see in 250 and 500 milligram tablets. Uh, it's used for intestinal infections like diverticulitis, something seen in older people, infections due to ruptured appendixes, uh, that's called peritonitis, some types of pneumonia, uh, diabetic foot, foot ulcers, um, bone and joint infections, uh, sometimes of types of intestinal colitis, uh, heart infections like endocarditis, some vaginal infections, uh, pelvic inflammatory disease, uh, an infection in a woman that can lead to infertility. Uh, and some of these are it's used in, other, in combination with other antibiotics. Uh, certain, some dental infections, as a matter of fact, some peptic ulcer infections actually are made improved by it, some skin infections. And of course, uh, if you're an outdoor person, giardiasis, which is an infection of the small intestine caused by a parasite that you'll see in 
places like clear mountain streams, that's something that you would use that for as well. Now, like all antibiotics, metronidazole has side effects. Uh, you can review these by picking up a copy of the Physician's Desk Reference, a great book, or by going to drugs.com or rxlist.com, and it's something that's important. One, one particular side effect with metronidazole has to do with alcohol. You drink alcohol while taking metronidazole, pishazole, or flagyl, it'll very likely make you nauseous and vomit. So that's something important. You should also not use it in pregnancy, but you can use it if you are allergic to penicillin. So these are just some of the things that you can uh, use metronidazole for. I think it's one of the main antibiotics, one of the top antibiotics that I would have in my survival medicine cabinet. And I would hope that you would consider getting some of this uh, in the near future. You, you won't find these in actual pet stores. You can find them online though. Uh, we have a, a company called Fish Flop fishflex, fishmoxfishflex.com, fishmoxfishflex.com. You can go to the website and you will see their little ad on the sidebar in the upper right corner. I have no other financial connection with them, however. So hopefully we can get people to have some antibiotics in case, not for regular use, but just in case of times of trouble. You know, I think that's pretty much all the time that we have. Yep, it went by fast. I'm glad you have uh, survived your Oh, my, my hack attack. We're going to call it a hack attack. Uh -huh. I know. <laughs> no, that was terrible. With hack attacks. But I'm glad, oh, you're, no. glad you're looking a little bit better, and uh, hopefully next well, week we'll have you here for the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you'll be able to do the whole show, too. I know. I, I, I would hope so. I think it's about a two-week course. It's these these flus are seven, yeah. seven to ten days, sometimes 14. Uh, well, you're still well, not feeling well. Thanks for, thanks for nothing. Well, we could still have hope, but a little reality thrown in there as a spice. Darling. All right. Well, on that happy <laughs> note, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour. I'm Joe Alton, MD. And I'm Amy Alton, ARNP. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.